0: Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith, coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina.
1: And I'm Natasha Smith, also coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina.
0: We'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast.
1: Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy. News that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. And our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted
0: to us. On today's program, a beloved Nashville pastor and author has died in a car crash this week. We'll remember Thomas McKenzie. And the Assemblies of God denomination settles a sex abuse lawsuit involving its youth program, the Royal Rangers.
1: We begin today with a slate of stories motivated by the crisis in Afghanistan.
0: Yeah, as is often the case when there's a crisis around the world, Christians want to help. And as the situation in Afghanistan has deteriorated in the past week, many American evangelicals are looking for evangelical ministries that are equipped to help those left on the ground and suffering in Afghanistan.
1: Warren, I know you have a list of ministries you want to share, but before you do that, are there some principles we can follow to inform our giving?
0: Yeah, there are. And we had our reporter, Kim Roberts, reach out to the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability with that very question. What did she learn? Well, Michael Martin is the president of the ECFA, and he encourages donors who want to be good stewards to support organizations that they know that already have proven track records in the region. This is what he said. Organizations should demonstrate commitment to healthy financial accountability practice, such as independent audits, appropriate transparency, truthfulness in fundraising, and honoring giver expectations and intent. The ECFA actually has a tool called Giver Connect, which will identify ministries that are engaged in imminent relief efforts in Afghanistan and the Middle East, plus hundreds of other causes, and are committed to upholding the ECFA's financial stewardship standards. Uh, Donations made through Giver Connect go directly to the ministries listed. That's helpful. What else? Well, Ministry Watch reached out to some of the largest humanitarian and relief organizations uh, to find out how donors to their organizations can have an impact in Afghanistan. All the organizations that we featured in Our story, I should say, Kilm reported in her story, are in good standing with the ECFA, and all of them have profiles at the Ministry Watch website that you can learn more about. Now, they include World Help. World Help said that it is working directly with national partners on the ground in Afghanistan that have been um, there for at least a decade. Currently, its top priority, it said, is to provide emergency food and clean water to displaced persons who are sleeping out in the open in temporary shelters. Uh, Its partners are also providing blankets, baby items, and those who need uh, twice-a-day food distributions.
1: That sounds good. Anybody else?
0: Well, there's an organization called Help the Persecuted that we've received some calls and emails about. Um, They don't operate directly in Afghanistan, but they say they have team members in nearby countries that have been in contact with pastors and Christians inside of Afghanistan and are identifying families and individuals who need help. They say the situation on the ground matches what we've been seeing in the news. In other words, pretty much total chaos. Uh, Help the Persecuted is in touch with a number of Afghan Bible college students and their families who are sheltering in place there, and they're discussing plans right now to provide more support so that they can effectively use the money that's being contributed to them. Now, one other organization that I want to mention is World Vision. Um, They are working to provide emergency relief operations in Afghanistan. They've been working on the ground there for more than 20 years, and they've expanded in recent days to uh, include more health, nutrition, water, sanitation, hygiene, child protection protection, education, and other infrastructure items. Uh, The situation on the ground, again, according to World Vision, is worsening, with families hiding or fleeing and almost half the population, about 18.4 million people in need of some sort of humanitarian assistance. Uh, The current crisis is exacerbating an already troubling situation in the country, and about 500,000 people are expected to flee across provinces within the country in the coming months.
1: Warren, I noticed that you didn't mention Compassion International or Samaritan's Purse. You also didn't mention the Nazarene Fund, the organization that is led by talk show host Glenn Beck that's raised $30 million so far. Why did you leave them
0: off the list? Well, it's a great question, and it's not because they're not doing good work, but neither Compassion International nor Samaritan's Purse is currently working in response to the situation in Afghanistan. Uh, Samaritan's Purse told us that they're focusing their efforts on other emergencies that they had already been working on, including the earthquake in Haiti. And Natasha, that brings up a key point that I'd like to stress right now to our listeners. If you're going to give to Afghan relief or to Haiti or to some other emergency, don't let that replace your ongoing support of your church or other ministries that you've made long-term commitments to. Let your emergency relief giving be in addition to and not instead of your regular giving or perhaps you should just designate some in your budget uh, for emergency giving. You may not know where that money is going to go right now, but you won't have to take it away from your other giving whenever that time does show up. And another related point is not to be seduced by the most compelling pitches that you're seeing on maybe your computer screen or on television. When it comes to emergency giving, knowing the ministry you've that you're giving to matters more than ever, because a lot of frauds and opportunists will jump into the chaos that's created by emergencies.
1: So even in times of emergency, give to the ministries you trust.
0: That's exactly right.
1: So let's go back to the Nazarene Fund. Why wasn't it on the list of ministries that Ministry Watch vetted and recommended?
0: Well, for one thing, the Nazarene Fund, while they may be doing good work, uh, is not a Christian ministry. Now, that may not matter to a lot of people, but it does matter to us. Here at Ministry Watch, we cannot in good conscience recommend uh, an organization to Christian donors that does not have a clear and biblically sound statement of faith, especially when there are so many great organizations that do. Now, if that doesn't matter to you, then you should follow your conscience. But to us, again, Again, it does matter, and our recommendations are driven by that principle.
1: Any other concerns?
0: Well, yeah, we do have other more practical uh, concerns when it comes to the Nazarene Fund. It's not clear to us that the Nazarene Fund has the infrastructure to efficiently handle the kind of money that's poured in in the last few days, or that it has the resources on the ground to actually utilize that money in efficient ways. I should mention that the Nazarene Fund last year took in only about $7 million all year, and the ministry ended up actually losing money. Now, suddenly, $30 million is dropped on it. Um, They've pulled a few plane loads of people out of Afghanistan, and I applaud those efforts, but I'm not convinced that they have the infrastructure or the leadership uh, to use this sudden influx of money efficiently. I'm not saying that they don't, but there are plenty of explicitly Christian organizations that already have boots on the ground there. They know what they're doing, and that's why we're recommending those ministries instead.
1: I understand you also had concern about governance and oversight.
0: Uh, We do. The Nazarene Fund does not pass even our most basic screens for accountability and oversight. Its board consists of Glenn Beck and a very few others who are not truly independent. One of them is David Barton, who actually is on the payroll of the uh, Nazarene Fund. And the Nazarene Fund CEO is a guy named Timothy Ballard who also leads the sex trafficking organization, Operation Underground Railroad. And that's a group that has already raised significant red flags for us here at Ministry Watch. We reported on Operation Underground Railroad back in March and expressed some of our concerns about Ballard and that group then. In fact, OUR is currently under investigation by a Utah county attorney for making misleading statements in his fundraising appeals, which has been a recurring problem as Ballard often overstates the group's role in rescues, uh, many of them using dramatic but controversial raids with camera crews running. Um, The group settled a lawsuit with one man that it falsely claimed was a sex trafficker. So these kinds of dramatic videos make for great fundraising, but Timothy Ballard's role in the Nazarene Fund causes us concern and is another reason that we are not recommending the Nazarene Fund at this time.
1: Warren, one more quick question about Afghanistan before we go to break. That's the call by Franklin Graham for a day of prayer for the people there.
0: Yeah, though the official day of prayer for Afghanistan was last Sunday, Franklin Graham is calling for prayers to continue. I should add that he is being joined in this effort by his son, Edward Graham, who is now working for Samaritan's Purse, but... Previously, he had served six combat tours with the U.S. Army Special Forces in Afghanistan. And Edward Graham said this, I spent years there and lost many friends. Uh, There are many Afghan people that I love. This is a man-made disaster, and there isn't a person or an organization that can fix this. Only God can deliver us from this crisis.
1: Well, we need to take a break here, but when we return, we'll have updates on a couple of sex abuse cases we've been following, one involving the Royal Rangers and the other involving the Boy Scouts. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll be back after this short
2: break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to SaveTheStorks.com. That's SaveTheStorks.com.
1: Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Now, we continue with news that a lawsuit filed in Oregon against the Royal Rangers has been settled.
0: Yeah, the lawsuit was filed on behalf of several men who said that they were sexually assaulted when they were boys. Um, They were members of a scouting-like program sponsored by the Assemblies of God called the Royal Rangers. The case has been settled out of court, but the terms of the settlement were not disclosed. Uh, The case combined two lawsuits filed in 2018 by plaintiffs who said that they were sexually abused in the 1980s by two volunteers in the Royal Rangers program at the First Assemblies of God Church in Albany, Oregon. Uh, The Two alleged abusers are Ralph Gant and Todd Clark. Uh, Some of the original plaintiffs had already settled their cases.
1: Our next story is an update of the Boy Scout sex abuse case.
0: Yeah, a year and a half after the Boy Scouts of America sought bankruptcy protection amid an onslaught of child abuse lawsuits, a Delaware judge this week has issued a ruling that could determine whether the organization could emerge from bankruptcy later this year. Following a three-day hearing that ended on Monday, the judge said that the Boy Scouts can, in fact, pursue an $850 million agreement. Uh, with attorneys representing a majority of the 82,500 abuse claimants in this case. However, the judge rejected two key provisions of the agreement, and that has thrown the bankruptcy proceeding into some disarray. This week, the Boy Scouts, in fact, asked for a delay in the bankruptcy hearing itself. It was supposed to start on Wednesday, but attorneys have asked for that hearing to be postponed until late September.
1: Orrin, our next story involves a Christian organization of a different kind. They are a Christian newspaper run by the Amish.
0: That's right. The troubles of traditional print newspapers have been pretty well documented uh, in recent years. In fact, I've written about some of them myself. High delivery costs, online competition. uh, They've been hard on print newspapers. But one weekly tabloid newspaper is thriving. It's called Die Boltschaft, which is German or I should say Pennsylvania Dutch for um, The Messenger. Uh, It's a national newspaper. It has a circulation of about 16,000. And while the name is in Pennsylvania Dutch, the newspaper is printed completely in English, and it features letters, lots of letters, of about five to eight column inches in length from all across the nation, from different Amish communities. Uh, On Wednesday, August the 18th, the letter contributors called Scribes were invited to the offices of Die Boatschaft for a full course meal and some fellowship. And the scribes got there by driving horse and buggies. And that's just an indication of their use of technology, which is virtually non-existent. In fact, they mail in their articles via the U.S. mail.
1: The newspaper is written by and for the Old Order Amish. What can you tell me about this group?
0: Well, the Old Order Amish are sometimes called the horse and buggy Amish because they uh, use cars and trucks only if they're driven by someone else. Uh, I profiled the Old Order Amish in my 2009 book, A Lover's Quarrel with the Evangelical Church, because despite all of their isolation and their disdain for technology— they're among the fastest growing religious groups in the country. We sometimes think that the fastest growing groups are those that winsomely engage the culture or make you know, great use of technology, video, podcasts, and the like, but the Old Order Amish have none of that. Uh, and they've grown their religious groups, their communities in, I guess you could say, the old fashioned way. They have big families, an average of seven to eight kids per family. And those kids, when they reach adulthood, usually continue in the faith of their parents. They've been discipled deeply and richly at home and in their local congregations. In fact, today, there are about 340,000 Old Order Amish and about 560 settlements around the United States. If trends continue within a decade, the Old Order Amish could be larger than the Episcopal Church and the United Church of Christ, two of our country's oldest denominations.
1: So why do they need a newspaper?
0: Well, because as they they've grown, they've spread out around the country. As I said, 560 communities now spread all over the United States. And this newspaper, which has nearly doubled in circulation in the past few years, helps to bridge that gap. The paper is full of reports from correspondents. As I said, they're called scribes, and they basically just write about what's going on in their local communities. Uh, By the way, our friend Michael Smith wrote this article, and it goes on for several thousand words. It's a really robust, us an in-depth and I should say beautifully written and fun to read article has some great photography as well. I really recommend that our listeners check out the online version of this article for a lot of fascinating details about both this unusual newspaper and this fascinating religious group that I believe we'll be hearing more from in the years ahead.
1: Warren, before we take another break, let's look at one more story. It's the story of Operation Care International.
0: Yeah, that's right. It's a homeless ministry that began in 1993 by Susie Jennings, a woman from Dallas. Her husband and a friend had died by suicide in separate incidents, and she had been in a car accident that left her unable to walk for about two months. And in her grief and pain, and she admits with some anger, she cried out to God, asking him what she could do to heal some of the brokenness in the world.
1: God's answer was to start Operation Care International.
0: Yeah, it was. And at first, it was really small. She just would bought a few blankets and maybe ask some friends to contribute some money to buy blankets and she would give them to homeless people that she saw on her way to work she's a registered nurse soon she became known as the blanket lady of dallas but in 2004 she officially launched operation care international and her work quickly extended beyond giving blankets to hosting birthday parties for the homeless because the homeless often don't have birthday parties they don't have people to Throw the parties for them or folks to bring them gifts. That grew into an annual Christmas party, a birthday party for Jesus. It's become one of the biggest Christmas parties in the nation for the homeless and the impoverished.
1: But it's more than just a party.
0: Well, it has certainly become that. The organization now has volunteer doctors, dentists, nurses who provide medical care. Volunteers wash the feet of the homeless and give them clean socks and shoes. There are stations for haircuts and for food. Distribution uh, opportunities to make phone calls because a lot of times the homeless don't have cell phones and can't even make phone calls to family and to support organizations. Uh, The first year in 2004, about 10,000 people showed up for this birthday party for Jesus 8,500 homeless people and about 1,500 volunteers. Uh, The event was such a success that it became an annual event, and the numbers um, now approached. 20,000 homeless and impoverished people that they care for each year. And in 2008, Operation Care became an international ministry. They now hold similar events in 46 countries around the world.
1: And this year is going to be the biggest year ever.
0: Yeah, Operation Care International's team is currently prepping for what they're believing will be their biggest event. Uh, 35 states, 150 countries will participate in this year's Christmas party. Jennings is dubbing this event a one-day movement. The date, by the way, is December the 18th, and you should stay tuned because I'm sure we'll have more news on this as the date approaches.
1: Warren, we're going to take another quick break, but when we return, our weekly lightning round of ministry news. I'm Natasha Smith with my co host Warren Smith. More in a moment.
2: Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro life movement by serving and valuing every life. That's SaveTheStorks.com.
1: Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Warren, we like to use this last little segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What's up first?
0: Well, for several weeks, Natasha, you may recall that we've been bringing you news about donor-advised funds. Uh, Senators Angus King and Chuck Grassley say that too much money is just being parked in donor advised funds, earning interest when it should be doing good. Uh, and they've introduced uh, a bill called the Accelerating Charitable Efforts Act. Uh, they introduced it back in June, and that's why we've been reporting on it for the last couple of months. If enacted into law, donor advised funds would be required to give away more money sooner or pay taxes for holding it longer. Uh, Community foundations and donor advice funds worth less than $1 million will be exempted. But you've
1: also said that you don't think that the legislation will pass.
0: Yeah, I don't, uh, as a matter of fact. Here at Ministry Watch, we don't advocate for or against particular pieces of legislation But we have said that we think modifying the rules governing donor-advised funds and endowments is a good thing. And we're not alone. Major foundations, including the Ford Foundation, the Kellogg Foundation, the Kresge Foundation, the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation, they all support this legislation, including a lot of public policy groups like the Institute for Policy Studies, uh, Patriotic Millionaires, and the Wallace Global Fund.
1: So why don't you think it will pass?
0: Well, in part, because a lot of evangelical groups oppose the bill, including the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability and the Coalition for Christian Colleges and Universities, which is a coalition of between 100 and 150 of the um, most distinctively Christian colleges in this country. They say that the Accelerating Charitable Giving Act would create additional administrative burdens uh, for ministries and their accountants and lawyers, uh, though many of them agree that some changes aren't necessary. Take, for example, Al Moller, who is the CEO of Excellence in Giving, which is a philanthropic advisor group that we've actually profiled on our website recently. He is theologically opposed to donor advised funds. He says that Uncle Sam says you make a gift when you put money in a donor advised fund, but I'm not sure God would say that you've actually made that gift yet until it goes to the nonprofit organization that puts the money to use. Would God approve a gift that only you benefit from? For me, a gift is not a gift until it's out the door and into the hands of an operating nonprofit. That's a great point. Well, it is. And there are other important points to consider as well, which is why, again, we are in favor of accelerating money through donor advised funds, even though we generally tend to be a fan of donor advised funds themselves. We have an in-depth article on the subject. It was done by Steve Raby. It's on our website. And if you are using a donor advised fund currently, and that could include National Christian Foundation or Schwab Charitable Trust or any of the other commonly used donor advised funds, or if you're considering it, I recommend that you check out Steve's article.
1: Warren, let's continue our lightning round with news from Salem Media Group.
0: Yeah, Salem is one of the largest Christian radio companies in the nation. It has about 100 Christian radio stations, and it's the only one that is publicly traded. So I often look at their quarterly earnings reports to kind of get a idea of what's going on in the Christian radio world these days. Um, Salem recently released their second quarter report for the three months ending June 30th. Their total revenue had increased by 20% over the year before, and it was the second quarter of a revenue increase. And they also had increased earnings. They'd made about $5.6 million compared to a loss the year before. This, too, was the second quarter in a row of profitable operations. That's a lot of numbers. What do they mean? Well, it means that Salem appears to be going through something of a turnaround. Uh, We've been reporting on Salem for a couple of years, and their financials, candidly, have not been very good. And um, they've been downgraded by Moody's, which is one of the rating services. Uh, And now, of course, Salem is just one organization, but they are somewhat indicative, as I said, of what's going on in Christian radio these days. And that bottom line is that things are pretty good with most of the organizations, not just Salem, showing revenue increases.
1: And who do you have in the ministries making a difference column this week?
0: Well, first of all, let me acknowledge that our managing editor, Christina Darnell, who has been off on maternity leave, she just had her fourth child, is back uh, working part time and working from home. But I, I for one, am delighted that she and her baby are both healthy and that she's She is now able to devote a few hours a day to ministry watch again. I really missed her. Uh, One of the things that we missed while she was away was her ministries making a difference column. It's back too. And this week she features a group called Warriors Set Free, a group equipping veterans with biblically sound principles to deal with PTSD and other issues specific to their service of our country. Also in this week's column are Youth for Christ, Samaritan's Purse, Mercy Chefs, and the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association.
1: And finally, Warren, you have the tragic news of the death of Thomas McKenzie.
0: Yeah, Reverend Thomas McKenzie was the pastor of a prominent Anglican congregation in Nashville, and his daughter, Ella, were both killed in a car crash on Monday. He was 50 years old. The two were headed to Texas, the first stop on a road trip to New Mexico, where Ella McKenzie was a college student.
1: This death has really shaken both the Nashville Christian community and the Anglican Church nationwide.
0: Yeah, it has, in part because Thomas McKenzie had written a book called The Anglican Way that has been instrumental in the lives of many evangelicals who have migrated into the Anglican Church in recent years. Also, Thomas McKenzie's own church, the Church of the Redeemer in Nashville, has been the home church for many Christian musicians, writers, and artists in the Nashville area. Thomas was a regular speaker at an event called Hutchmoot, which is an event put on each year by the Rabbit Room, the arts group co-founded by Andrew Peterson and his brother, Pete Peterson. And by the way, both Andrew and Pete wrote moving tributes to Thomas McKenzie at the Rabbit Room website, and I recommend both of them to you.
1: Any final thoughts before we go?
0: Well, just my normal weekly reminder to give and live generously. Uh, Always support your local church first, and your favorite but carefully researched Christian ministry second. And if you have a bit uh, extra left over, you can maybe make a contribution to Ministry Watch to help you and others become more effective and informed stewards. And if you do make such a gift, we would, of course, be grateful. If you give to us in the month of August, so that's just a few more days, you'll receive as our thank you gift a one-year subscription to World Magazine. That's a print and a digital subscription, so we think it's a pretty good deal. To make a gift to Ministry Watch, go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page.
1: The producers for today's program are Rich Rosell and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Gutterd, Stephen DuBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include... Kim Roberts, Yonat Shimron, Steve Raby, Jack Jenkins, Emily McFarlane Miller, Bethany E. Starin, Michael Ray Smith, Sarah Dreer, Bob Smetanya, Randall Chase, and Ann Stike. Also thanks to Religion Unplugged for contributing materials to this week's program. I'm Natasha Smith This Week, coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina.
0: Yeah, that's right. You are here in Charlotte, Natasha. It's good to actually see you face to face. I'm Warren Smith also coming to you from Charlotte.
1: And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God
0: bless you.